Hello and welcome to 2021's July's Fellows Choice podcast. We will outline the highlights of July's issue of the International Journal of Gynaecological Cancer. I'm Anna Collins from the University Hospitals of Leicester in the United Kingdom. And I'm Nicolo Pizzarri from Policlinico Agostino Gemelli in Rome, Italy. In Aerial 3, the PARP inhibitor Rucaparib significantly improved progression-free survival versus placebo, regardless of biomarker status, when used as maintenance treatment for recurrent ovarian cancer. The aim of the current analysis, carried out by Andrew Clamp and colleagues, was to evaluate the efficacy and safety of Rucaparib in subgroups based on progression-free interval following penultimate platinum, the number of prior chemotherapies, prior use of bevacizumab. The authors observed that Rucaparib significantly improved progression-free survival versus placebo in patients with a progression-free interval of 6 to less than 12 months or over 12 months who had received two or over three prior chemotherapy regimes and who had or had not received prior bevacizumab. The magnitude of progression-free survival improvement seen with Rucaparib was similar across subgroups and in the different analysis cohorts. Safety was similar between Rucaparib-treated patients across all subgroups and was consistent with other reports. Taken together, these results demonstrate the consistent efficacy and safety of Rucaparib maintenance treatment, even in patients who are heavily pretreated and or who have more rapid disease recurrence. Dirk Timmerman and Christina Fotopoulos present a consensus statement on the preoperative diagnosis of ovarian tumors jointly developed by the ESGO Society, the ESWOG Society, the IOTA Group, and the SG Society. This paper includes clinically relevant and evidence-based statements on the preoperative diagnosis of ovarian tumors, including, including imaging techniques, biomarkers, and prediction models. Ultrasonography is recommended as a first step to stratify patients with symptoms suggestive of adnexal mass and in those with an incidental finding of an adnexal mass on imaging. The IOTA ATNEX model could be applied as a next step in order to determine the risk of malignancy. Any ultrasonographic examination in case of a suspicious ovarian mass should be performed by an expert ultrasonographer. The resulting classification of the lesion into one of the ORAS categories can further guide the management and the selection of patients for referral to a dedicated gynecologic oncology center. Ultrasound assessment by an expert or application of the IOTA ADNEX model in combination with the tumor markers can often indicate the specific subtype of malignancy. If available, diagnosis of the primary lesion can be confirmed with diffusion and perfusion-weighted MRI, especially in cases in which fertility-sparing surgery is considered. A CT scan of the chest, abdomen and pelvis is mandatory before planned surgery for presumed malignancy in order to exclude secondary cancers, thromboembolic events and multifocal intraparenchymal distant metastasis that would preclude operability. Gunther Emmons and colleagues present the protocol for the open-label randomized controlled trial ECLAT endometrial cancer lymphadenectomy trial. 
The impact of systematic pelvic and paraortic lymphadenectomy on survival in patients with FIGO stage 1 and 2 endometrial cancer with high risk of recurrence is not reliably documented and morbidity from this procedure is significant. The primary objective of this trial is to evaluate the effect of systematic pelvic and paraortic lymphadenectomy in absence of bulky lymph nodes on 5-year overall survival in patients with stage 1 and 2 endometrial cancer at risk at high risk of recurrence. Secondary endpoints include disease-free survival, perioperative complications and side effects of the treatment. Patients with stage PT1B, PT2 of any histological subtype alongside PT1AG3 endometrioid tumors and serous clear cell or carcinosarcomas can be included. Patients with PT1A, G1 and 2 endometrioid tumors and uterine sarcomas are excluded. The study hypothesis is that systematic pelvic and paraortic lymphadenectomy will increase the 5-year overall survival from 75 to 83%. In arm A, a total hysterectomy plus bilateral salpingo ophorectomy is performed. In arm B, total hysterectomy and bilateral salpingo-ophorectomy plus systematic pelvic and paraortic lymphadenectomy up to the left renal vein is performed. For all patients, vaginal brachytherapy and adjuvant chemotherapy, carboplatin and paclitaxel, is recommended. 640 patients will be enrolled and at the present, 252 have been already recruited. Accrual is estimated to complete in 2025, with results expected in 2031. Skugareb and colleagues present a video article highlighting a right extraperitoneal approach for laparoscopic paracaval bulky lymph node dissection in a 65-year-old patient with stage 3C2 endometrioid adenocarcinoma with enlarged precaval and retrocaval lymph nodes. The video highlights the benefits and feasibility of dissection of these nodes using a right-sided extraperitoneal approach compared to the standard left extraperitoneal approach. The authors highlight the main limitation of this approach is insufficient access to the left aortic lymph nodes. Sarah Eupenbecker and colleagues from the MD Anderson Cancer Centre present a study which primary objective was to compare discharge opioid refills dose and morphine equivalent amount prescribed and longitudinal patient reported outcomes before and after implementation of a tired opioid prescribing algorithm in 273 women undergoing open gynecological surgery with enhanced recovery program after surgery. Between the 113 pre and the 160 post implementation patients there was no difference in opioid refill. The post-implementation cohort has had a significant reduction in mean morphine-equivalent dose, with no difference in mean length of hospital stay or 30-day readmission rate. There was also no difference in patient-reported pain between the pre- and post-implementation cohorts on the day of discharge or in patient-reported symptoms, interference measures or composite scores on the day after the discharge. Median recovery time for most symptoms was 7 days, 
except for pain, 14 days, fatigue, 18 days, and physical interference, 21 days, with no difference between the cohorts. The authors concluded that the implementation of a tired opioid prescribing algorithm, the amount and the dose of opioids prescribed at discharge decreased with no change in postoperative refills and no negative impact on patient reported symptoms, burden or interference, which can be used to educate and reassure patients and providers. Oncologic outcomes of minimally invasive versus open radical hysterectomy for early stage cervical carcinoma and tumour size less than 2 cm, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Dimitrios Nasiudis and colleagues reported the results of a systematic review and meta-analysis with the aim to investigate the oncologic outcomes of patients with early stage cervical carcinoma and tumour size less than 2 cm who underwent open or minimally invasive radical hysterectomy. Observational studies reporting progression-free survival and or overall survival for patients who had open or minimally invasive radical hysterectomy for early stage cervical carcinoma and tumour size less than 2 cm were selected. A total of 10 studies met the inclusion criteria encompassing 4,935 patients. Of these, 48.5% had minimally invasive and 51.5% of patients had open radical hysterectomy. Patients who underwent minimally invasive hysterectomy had worse progression-free survival than those who had open surgery, with a hazard ratio of 1.68. Based on data from five studies, patients who had minimally invasive hysterectomy had a trend towards worse overall survival compared with those who had open surgery, hazard ratio 1.64. Segara Vidal and colleagues present a comprehensive review on technical oncologic and obstetrics aspects of radical trachelectomy. Radical trachelectomy is the cornerstone of fertility sparing surgery in patients with early stage cervical cancer wishing to preserve fertility. Growing evidence has demonstrated the oncological safety and subsequent favorable pregnancy outcomes in selected cases. In the absence of prospective trials, the decision on the appropriate surgical approach, vaginal, open or minimally invasive surgery, should be based on local resources and surgeons' preferences. Radical trachelectomy has the potential to preserve fertility in a large proportion of women with early-stage cervical cancer. However, Prematurity and premature rupture of membranes are common obstetrics complications after radical trachelectomy for cervical cancer. A multidisciplinary approach is crucial to optimize the balance between oncologic and obstetrical outcomes. Cytoreductive surgery followed by chemotherapy and elaparib maintenance in BRCA1 or 2 mutated recurrent ovarian cancer, a retrospective mitogroup study. Sabrina Ciceri and colleagues on behalf of the MITO group presented the results of a retrospective multi-centre study to assess the survival outcomes of secondary cytoreductive surgery performed prior to platinum-based chemotherapy followed by elaparib maintenance in platinum-sensitive BRCA-mutated recurrent ovarian cancer. 209 patients were included. 34.5% underwent cytoreductive surgery followed by platinum-based chemotherapy and olaparib maintenance. 
while 65.5% underwent chemotherapy treatment alone. After a median follow-up of 37.3 months, there was a significant progression-free and overall survival advantage in patients undergoing surgery before chemotherapy. Secondary cytoreduction was confirmed to be beneficial at both uni and multivariate analysis. The hazard ratio for progression-free survival was 0.19 and for overall survival 0.17. The authors concluded that cytoreductive surgery performed before platinum therapy and alaparib maintenance was associated with longer progression-free survival and overall survival in BRCA-mutated, platinum-sensitive, relapsed ovarian cancer patients. Nasiuidis and colleagues from Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania conducted a retrospective study using the National Cancer Database to assess whether different surgical approach impacted the prevalence of positive peritoneal cytology and lymphovascular space invasion in patients with early-stage endometrial cancer. A total of 74,732 patients who met the inclusion criteria were identified. The rate of minimal invasive hysterectomy was 75.7%. A higher proportion of patients who had minimal invasive hysterectomy had positive peritoneal cytology and presence of lymphovascular space invasion. The present study showed that minimal invasive surgery may be associated with a higher incidence of positive peritoneal cytology and lymphovascular invasion among patients with early-stage endometrioid endometrial cancer. There was no difference in overall survival between patients who had laparotomy or minimal invasive surgery. Chambers et al. from the Cleveland Clinic Foundation conducted a study using a single institution registry to analyse perioperative outcomes in elderly versus non-elderly women with advanced or recurrent epithelial ovarian cancer undergoing surgery with hypothermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, HIPEC. Of the 127 women who underwent surgery with HIPEC, 33.1% were over 65 and 17.3% were over 70 years old. The median age for non-elderly and elderly patients was 55.7 versus 72 years. There were no differences in moderate, 15.3% versus 26.2%, or severe post-operative complications, 10.6% versus 11.9%, acute kidney injury, 7.1% versus 16.7%, and length of stay, 5 versus 5 days, for non-elderly versus elderly patients. The study showed perioperative morbidity is not increased for non-elderly versus elderly patients following surgery with HIPEC. Age should not exclude patients from surgery. Thank you for listening to July's Table of Contents podcast by the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer's Editorial Fellows. We hope you tune in again next time.